In and amen. Thank you so much. Find your Bibles if you would. If you find the book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, we might uh, bring some of the house lights up just a little bit so you'll be able to see and I can see you. Oh, you are out there, baby. There you go. Wonderful. Great time to be in the uh, house of the Lord to be able to come during our times of worship to sing songs we know, maybe learn some new songs, maybe particularly new songs that sing about the birth of the Savior. And uh, glad to see you today. We're glad that you're here to be a part and uh, glad you're here to be a part of this uh, series. We have uh, after today got three services that you want to be a part of, including tonight. You want to be part of God speaking, musical drama taking place. And then uh, next Sunday morning as well, and then our Christmas Eve service. And looking forward to all of those things. We're going to be reading Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I'm going to ask, would you stand as we read these verses, please? We appreciate uh, Aaron and Mary and Sarah leading us in worship. But I will tell you, since Aaron has been here, this is the most you've ever sat in a worship service, I can tell you. But uh, somebody was sat there at the end. But let's say this. Uh, I, we do this from time to time. If we have a verse, we say it together. So we're going to say it together. If you'll read it off the screen, that would be good. Let me tell you, for some reason, our 830 service does this really well, and you think it would be the opposite because you folks have been up for a couple of hours, at least, probably. So uh, look alive and alert and awake, and let's say this verse together. Are you ready? Let's say it now. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you may be seated. Thank you so very much. Appreciate that. You did great. Best ever for our second service anyway. You did wonderful. By now you have probably noticed that uh, we have an acronym that is going on as far as our home for Christmas, H-O-M-E. And last week we talked about the H in His heavenly home. And we talked, of course, about how Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come to be born in Bethlehem so that He might be able to live amongst us, die for our sins, so that we might be able to go and be in heaven uh, with Him. And uh, that should be encouragement to us. You know, it's this time of year, perhaps, that we begin to think about sometimes those who have already gone on to be with the Lord, if we lost loved ones or Maybe sometimes we're going through some difficult times or difficult days, and for some reason it is Christmas time which tends to magnify that. So the fact and the message of heaven brings encouragement. But also, we maybe noticed a little bit last week, and we've talked about there's that heavenly power. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that resurrection power. So not only does it bring us encouragement, it gives us power to be able to endure whatever difficulties we're facing today and to be able to overcome any temptations that we may be facing daily. So we're thankful for that. So today we come to the O in Home for Christmas. And O has to do with our heart, His home. All of it has to do with home. And, and as we talk about the fact that we know that Jesus Christ lives in the hearts of all those who know and all those who love Him, it's... Our hope is in Christ alone. It's not a hope in anything that this world has to offer or anything that we can do for ourselves, but on what Jesus has done for us. So this morning, we're going to talk about our identity as found in Christ. All those who have Christ Jesus in their home, and always an invitation that if you don't have Christ in your home, it's an invitation for you to accept Christ and be able uh, to know Him. We have a theme Christmas verse. You realize Galatians and all of these, they're not necessarily Christmas verses, but at the same time all of it is because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But it is uh, Luke 2-7, maybe the most familiar of all the Christmas verses 
it is where it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and uh, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. No room in the inn. Begs the question then, do you have room for Jesus in your heart? I hope that by the time we finish today, not only are you thinking to yourself, I sure need to make room for Jesus in my heart. It is my hope and my desire that you will want to make Jesus the central focus of everything in your heart, that He will be. There's only room for one in your heart. And all those things that are crowding out Jesus, will your least desire will be to, to remove those things because it is the goodness of the love of Christ that needs to fill our hearts and puts everything else in perspective and place and in priority as well. Uh, oh, I, I know it. Boy, it's, it's like can't wait for Christmas Day. You can't wait for what the M and the E is going to be. Well, I can't wait to find out either. But uh, most of us are familiar with identity theft to where somebody comes along, they take your name or social security number or maybe a credit card and use it for defraud or uh, other crimes. It's, it's estimated that as many as 9 million Americans every year are victims of identity theft. You may have known someone who has, or you may have been, but there is an identity that can never be taken away. The identity that we have when Christ has made His home in your heart. We identify with Christ. We know we do not give up our own uniqueness or our own personalities when we're in Christ, unless you really have a rotten personality that really needs to be changed. But really what happens is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ uses your uniqueness and even your personality and to help you to be who you are and who you are in Christ. Galatians 2.20. Special verse for me. It is, uh, I guess if I had a life verse, not just a favorite verse, but a verse that I say, you know, that you're asking me what verse do I need to, do I you know, want to pull out, talk about, and to be about, it would be Galatians 2.20. Paul's the writer of Galatians, and he tells us how he identified with Christ. And if we're going to identify with Christ and have any interest in living for Him, then these same areas that Paul talks about are the same areas that we need to identify with Christ, even to help us through these days of Christmas as well. And there are three of those that we need to identify with Christ in death, and uh, in, in life, and in faith. You've got your notes there. We're going to kind of work through those as well. So the first thing we're going to talk about is what Paul talked about. First in this verse, Galatians 2.20. We're going to look at some other verses around Galatians 2 as well if you keep your Bibles open. We need to identify with Christ in His death. Jesus was born in manger in Bethlehem for one purpose. It was to die. Thirty years after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, He began His public ministry. And the very first thing he did was he went and he found his cousin John who had been baptizing. And he came to be baptized by John in order to identify what was going to be happening for him in the future. Jesus' baptism identified his death, burial, and resurrection, his purpose for coming on earth. And then Paul writes from personal experience. He says, Galatians 2.20 again, I have been crucified with Christ. Now when a person becomes... Uh, Christian, we spiritually participate with Christ in the nailing of our sins and of ourself to the cross. It's the death of our old self. Elsewhere, Paul speaks of us being raised again to walk with, with Christ. It's the symbol of baptism, and it is literal in that when we die with Christ, not just the coming up out of the baptism, but the moment that we 
die with Christ, the moment that we place our faith in Him. We may not have understood this every time for every person when they become a believer, but what is happening there, we're rising to live a new life to where we're walking with Him and we're able to spend eternity with Him in heaven. But it also means putting death the notion of finding life or eternal life in anything else but Jesus. Paul so identified with the crucifixion of Christ that he viewed his old way of life All of his deeds, even his good deeds, and all of his sins, they were nailed to the cross, according to Paul, on that Good Friday before the first Easter. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, there were actually two others that were crucified with him on the cross. And there's been a lot of speculation about the three wooden crosses on Calvary and exactly what they meant. But of those who were nailed, or those who were placed on a cross next to Jesus, only one was nailed to the cross physically and spiritually, or only one was crucified with Jesus spiritually because one placed his faith and turned from sin and self, turned to Jesus to find hope and salvation. So Paul tells us, though he was not there physically, he was crucified with Jesus. One of the thieves on the cross with Jesus, one of those were crucified with Jesus physically and spiritually. They are with Jesus and spiritually crucified. And Paul speaks for each of us who are true believers that you've also been crucified with Jesus. Now sometimes you'll hear people talk and they'll, they'll say, and you can just hear it sometimes in conversations, or they'll just go right out and say it, that you can't know for sure that you're saved or can't know for sure that you're going to heaven. They'll, they'll say, well, you know, I hope I've been good enough or I hope I've done enough or I hope that I'm able to make it to heaven one day. And, but they're not quite sure. Yet the Apostle Paul, in these verses, in this verse that we've read, he seems to be pretty sure that he's saved, pretty sure he's going to heaven. Jesus has been crucified with Christ. Not because of how good he was, but because of what Christ has done. And how about that thief on the cross who placed his faith in Jesus? He should have been sure because Jesus said, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, today I want to tell you, And I want you to be able to know for sure that you do have a home in heaven, that you have identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to be able to know. And as I read through the book of Galatians particularly, we read one verse, maybe a couple others that we read, but it becomes clear in my mind that what Paul was trying to say of why nothing else is necessary for salvation but faith. Genuine faith in Jesus alone. You must repent of your sins and have a desire for a relationship with the Almighty. But there's no other action that's required for salvation. Now the reason for that, I I want to tell you, the reason for that has become clear in my mind and my heart. And I want to be able to share that with you today. I got to tell you though, my ability to be able to share that with you, I'm not positive that I can get that across in the ways in which I would like for you to hear it today. But maybe with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're sure going to give it a go. The reason we're saved by grace through faith alone and not of of works, as is repeated throughout the Bible, is because the only way that we can serve freely, the only way that we can come close to serving God out of pure motives whatsoever is if we're saved by faith alone and not by our works. As long as works is part of the equation at all, then our motives can never come close to being pure. Instead, they would always be a little bit selfish. I'm trying to be good, we might say, or follow the Ten Commandments. I want to do what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to follow the golden rule. Or whatever your definition is for being good, I'm being good so that, well, I want to make sure my place in heaven is a little bit more secure. 
Well, that's a faith plus works mentality. Now, most Christians and even most Baptist Christians, who can tell you how to be saved or can tell you how to go to heaven? They might tell you the Roman road. We spent lots of months in Romans already this year. They might tell you what sometimes we call the four spiritual laws or some, uh, something true about the gospel. And that is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He was born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect life. He was the only one that He could die for our sins and He died for our sins on the cross and rose again the third day. In order to be saved, you must repent of your sins. You must ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and place your faith in Him and place your trust in Him. Now most of us would agree perhaps that this, this is the gospel message. But many times believers add, and sometimes I've even said something like this, you must live for Jesus and also and do what the Bible says or follow God's Word. Well, what's wrong with that? Doesn't it sound right, make sense to us? Otherwise, it seems too simple or too easy. But the problem is, it's not biblical. Now, do you think that I think that you should live for Jesus? Oh, you better believe I think that very thing. But even though we talk sometimes more about faith in Christ, by all practical purposes, the emphasis will be on putting faith too much in our works instead of faith in Jesus, and if it's included even a little bit. Let's talk just a moment about what motivated Paul to write this book and some of the verses that we're reading today. Paul had come to the area of Galatia, and there he had preached the gospel of faith in Jesus alone. He started churches, and most of these who were in these ch churches, they were not Jewish. But then after Paul left, there were some Jewish people, even Jewish confessing believers who came along and said, well, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but also what you need to do is you need to follow the law. You need to follow the law of the Old Testament. In particular, they, wanted to, they said you need to follow the rituals and you need to follow the holy days and circumcision. And Paul wrote with some pretty strong language in that he says, don't let anybody add anything to the gospel message. Jesus set you free from the law so that you might be able to serve out of a pure motive so that you might be able to serve because you know Jesus loves you and you want to love Him back by your service, not by anything that you can get for yourself. Paul did introduce a new word. It wasn't really probably a new word at that time, but he used it in a new way, and it's the word justified. Before justified would be something that a judge would declare, finding that you really didn't do anything wrong, so he declares you not guilty. But in this case... Paul introduced the word justified to mean in Scripture declaring a person not guilty and fully innocent for eternity, not because you had done anything wrong, but because Jesus took our punishment for us. As a matter of fact, Paul said that a person is justified in Galatians 2 verse 16. If you happen to have your Bible still open or it may be on the screen, Galatians 2 16 says, Yet we know a person that is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ so that we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. But because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We'll never be justified by what we do. Paul was sure of one thing. He was sure of one thing, and that is that Jesus had done for him what he could never do for himself. Because who you are depends on Christ alone. If you have Christ in your heart, you can know that you're a child of the King. You can know that you have a home in heaven. You have, can know that you've been crucified with Christ and we are to rise to walk with Him. Knowing that helps us to be able to know our motivation. 
helps us to be able to understand that uh, we need to start living like Christ lives in our heart as well. But also we find another identity. You know, we want to identify not only uh, in, in uh, His death, but also identify with Christ in real life. Identify with Christ in real life. Paul wrote, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now besides uh, the fruits of the Spirit, which is in Galatians, probably the, maybe this is the second most repeated verse or the best known verse maybe in the book of Galatians. But it's, but it's often maybe misunderstood. That is, some will take it to mean that we're somehow replaced, Christ living in us, we're replaced to live a perfect life with no sin, no suffering, no pain, and no problems. And that means that if you have problems, boy, you must be way out of line. You're somehow not doing it right or you're not living right. This is a gross misrepresentation of Christ living in you. Now, in order for us to be able to understand what it means to have Christ and living in us and through us, I want to describe maybe three types of Christians or so-called believers using three different gifts that we have here before, whether you've noticed those or not. Actually, have you heard a word I've said so far? You just wondered what the gifts were there for. Well, we're going to look at them here as we do today. And, and I, I want you to understand these are for illustration purposes. So if you have bought one of these gifts, if you bought me one of these gifts, it does not mean necessarily what we're you know, talking about today. These are for illustration purposes as well. And maybe to keep your attention here along the way. So let's, uh, I'm not sure which way this will go. This looks like good. Uh, but we have uh, here the first gift. This is a, is that karaoke machine? Yeah, this is a karaoke machine. Uh, you need one around your house, I'm sure, or maybe you've had one before. But uh, we're going to use this to describe the people I'm going to call wannabes. These are perhaps people that uh, want to be seen for their good works. They want to be seen. Their motivation is... Uh, Maybe so that others might be able to see it as well. There were uh, the Judaizers were the names of the Jews who came to the people of Galatia as well as other places. And they came and told them that these are the things that you need to do. You need to follow the law. And these people particular wanted to be seen for their works. They wanted to be considered as important as the Apostle Paul. In fact, they often belittled the Apostle because of their misrepresentation of the gospel. Now, there are a lot of folks who like to be seen by others and known by their good works. Christmas time is a great time, perhaps, maybe, maybe to be seen for your good works, if that's your only motivation. Many of these, even perhaps in the church, do not necessarily have a relationship with Jesus, may not be living for Christ, and they are simply their motivation is that they are living for themselves as well. Well, we've got a... Another gift here. I went to the wrong gift second last in the first service, so we'll see if I can get it right the, for this time. But we have another gift. This is kind of retro. That, uh, as a matter of fact, it's kind of hard to find. But uh, although I think they kind of as seen on TV, but this is the clapper, clap on and clap off, and uh, maybe something that you've been looking for this Christmas or want to get for that special someone. It was uh, my mischievous side almost decided to, uh, I was going to take the Christmas tree lights and all the lights and plug it in so that when you clapped after a song to see if they went on and off at the time. But uh, uh, this is, we're going to call this group the inconsistent. 
These are the inconsistent. These are living for the moment. And at Christmas time, there are some who are really spiritual at Christmas, but they live like the rest of the world, perhaps uh, the rest of the time. And certainly there are believers, there are church members, maybe that uh, sometimes can clap on and clap off and uh, be spiritual one moment and not necessarily the next. Some maybe just on Sundays. At one time in the Apostle Peter's life, Paul's the one who wrote Galatia, but as the Apostle Peter's life, he was considered maybe inconsistent, particularly before the cross. He's the one who got out of the boat and began to walk on waters. He kept his eyes on Jesus, but when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. Peter's the one who on the night before the crucifixion that he said that he would never deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he denied the Lord three times. Now, he became much more consistent, certainly after that time of the cross. But uh, Paul tells us of this rare incident. And I mention it because it's mentioned here in Galatians chapter 2. And he tells where uh, Peter was not consistent and Paul had to confront him without telling the whole story. It was a time in which he would not have table of fellowship with uh, Gentiles. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, it says this, But when Cephas, another name for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. This event in Peter's life teaches us that we need to be on guard always. And Jesus living in us helps us to represent him no matter where we are and no matter what it is that we're doing. Gift number three. Oh, is this exciting or what? I'm, yeah. We have uh, gift number three that uh, I'm sure somebody wants one of these. But, uh, but we'll use this as Transformers. I'm sure that when this Transformers movies and toys and books and magazines all came out, they had no idea of the spiritual ramifications of that because we know that the Bible tells us do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Apostle Paul never claimed to be perfect. But as we know the story of his life, he did claim to be radically changed. He went from a persecutor of Christians who based his life on religion, works, and the law to God's missionary to the Gentiles, dedicating his life to telling people about Jesus. Now, it's been my pleasure as a pastor and a minister of the gospel to hear hundreds of people, maybe thousands, maybe tell their testimony, tell their story of how they came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some people came out of a lifestyle of pleasure, wanting pleasure and material things and what this world that this world has to offer. And Jesus came and then He changed their goals and changed their aims in life. And some people came out of a... a background of immorality and even addictions and the Lord brought them out of that lifestyle. Some have been like me perhaps and were raised in the church and then came to a place to where I realized that I knew about Jesus but didn't know him personally and I realized that I needed to become a disciple of Jesus and I needed to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and Christ came into my heart and he made it so that I uh, had a love for His church and a love for God's people and wanted to see lost people come to know Him as Lord and Savior and desire to be able to know His Word and to be able to share it with others as well. But there's one common denominator in every testimony that is real and genuine. It is that Jesus changed each life. If we, if we identify with Christ in death and in life, who you are in Christ brings change. It brings change. Years ago, we bought our first house, and uh, 
Uh, we probably had it about a year, so if there's a warranty on it at all, it probably was gone because the roof began to leak. And I remember getting up in the attic and trying to figure out where the leak was coming from. I could see the leak, but I couldn't necessarily see where it was coming from. So I got somebody else, called somebody probably more used to climbing in attics than I was, and had them come and take a look. And they also saw the leak. In fact, they repaired a couple of places. But then the next time it rained, it still leaked. So I finally had to do what they say I had to. I had to call the man. I had to call a professional. Come in and take a look. Take a look. Looked at my roof and said, "Listen, this thing's been on here way too long. It's way too old." Said, uh, "No doubt about it. You're going to have to get a new roof." And so we got a new roof, and there's no more leaks. If I could have fixed the roof myself, I would have. If there was any other way, I would have done it. But there was only one remedy. There's only one way to bring true change to your life. You cannot bring true change by yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. You've got to call on the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus for salvation. Identify with Christ in real life change. So we want to identify with Christ in His death. We want to identify with Christ in real living. We need to also identify Christ in my faith. Using first personal pronoun because Paul did when he said... The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave Himself for me. Paul puts two things together that seem to be at odds with one another. Flesh and faith. But Paul says, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to be able to do that real living, live for Jesus in the flesh, it's going to have to be by faith. And he seems to do, go to great pains to describe what or who he will place his faith in. Now, faith must have an, an objective, must be faith in the right thing. A lot of people have faith. Some people put faith in their church attendance. Some people put faith in their religion or in a God. Some put faith in themselves and not their good works. But faith must be in the God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the same Jesus who loves you, gave Himself for you, the Bible says, who put their faith in the Lord Jesus. All those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus will never be put to shame. So faith must be in the right place. Not faith just in anything, but in the Jesus of the Bible, Jesus for whom the Bible is written and framed for, Jesus who has always existed and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died and rose again and is alive today. About two and a half years ago, we, uh, we kind of refurbished this sanctuary. We got new carpet, painted the walls, redid the ceiling. You're sitting in chairs instead of pews because the pews were falling apart and we had to do something. But uh, just before the carpet was put in, we encouraged church members to come and write down their favorite Bible verse on the floor, maybe symbolizing the fact that uh, we're people of the faith and people of the book. And a lot of you came and maybe you remember where you wrote yours. And Well, I came and I wrote my verse. Guess, guess what verse I wrote? Galatians 2.20. And I wrote it right here in front of the pulpit. So it would be a central place. But i got to tell you, first under the carpet, probably not going to do very much. But oh, it can do a lot. If we live by it, it can have great impact. I'm crucified with Christ, yet I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. In a couple of weeks, we're moving to uh, a new year, the year 2020. I didn't think about this at first, I guess, in the new year, but what do you think of when you 
say you're here 2020. Oh, do you? I think of, thank you for that word. That was the second thing you think of. I think of perfect vision. Being able to see, now obviously I don't have 2020. But as we move into year 2020, we certainly want to have perfect vision when it comes to God's will. God's will for your life, God's will for my life, God's will for our life as a church. I want to think about maybe a theme verse, a verse that will help us. I think of Galatians 2.20. So you will probably hear this again because we want to make it clear as we move into 2020 and we get ready for the new decade. One of the things we're doing, praying about what the Lord wants us to do, how we keep the vision going over the next 10 years. So we want to be able to have 2020 vision when it comes to the future. So this is it. 2020, seeking 2020 vision using Galatians 2.20. Because if we're going to identify with Christ in your faith, then who you are in Christ should be clear. First, it should be clear where and whom you place your faith in. Where Paul placed his faith seems to be pretty clear. I'd like for it to be clear in my life where I place my faith. I want it to be clear in your life where you place your faith. I want it to be clear this Christmas week. What do we have? Ten days or so between now and Christmas and over the next ten days. It may be for you smooth sailing, nothing but joy and celebration. It may be over the next ten days. Well, might be you've got a family. And it may be a little bit rough at times. It could be you might be a little lonely at times. But regardless of what you're going to be facing over these next 10 days, may Jesus be in the center of your life and your heart. May it be clear that you're putting your trust and your faith in Him. Second, we should live clear lives before others so that they may know Jesus too. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. There's only one way pagans can glorify God at the second coming. That is, if they have identified with Jesus in death, life, and faith. Let our lives and our words and our testimony be clear so that others may know Jesus too. Max Lucado tells a story in one of his books. A story about a little boy that goes into the pet store and he wants to buy a puppy. And uh, so as he goes in, the owner of the store takes him there to the back and there's a litter of puppies. And he says, pick you one out. He looks around, finally he picks one out. And he says, how much does it cost? He told him how much it costs. He said, well, I've got to earn some money. I'll be back. The pet owner says, well, don't wait too long. The one you picked out may not be here. He looked back with confidence and says, oh, I'm not worried. And he went out and he washed windows and he cleaned yards until finally he had enough money and he came back to, in order to get his puppy. And he came back and there are still some of the puppies left and he picked out the very one. But the one that he picked out, it was the run of the litter. In fact, it was handicapped and limped some and kind of sickly looking. The pet owner said, oh, you don't want that one. He won't be able to run around with you. He won't be able to play in the yard. He says, you don't, want you don't want that one. Pick out another one. He said, oh, no, sir. This is exactly the one I want. Kind of startled by that as the boy left, he noticed why, he, why it was that he said that very thing because he noticed extending out of that boy's 
pants was a brace on his leg. The boy knew how the puppy felt and he rescued it. I got to tell you, it's the story of Christmas. Jesus did not rescue you and me come to this earth because we were the pick of the litter. (laughs) We were marred and handicapped because of sin, but there was a price that had to be paid. So he worked and went through all the effort to be born in Bethlehem, to go through every pain and temptation and struggle and even death to identify with us. Jesus knows how we feel and he came to rescue us. It's the story of Christmas. You're able to identify with Jesus because Jesus identified with you. And our heart is His home. It's His desire to live in our heart. And He's building a spiritual house. Don't just make room for Jesus this Christmas. Make sure Jesus fills the room. Remove every obstacle. Make Him the center of your heart, the center of your life, and the center of your celebration. Let's bow together. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to You today. We're thankful for Your goodness to us. We thank You, Father, for how we have been shown through the coming of the Christ child who came and died for us on the cross and rose again. We've been shown the great love. Father, we pray today that we might not just make room for Jesus, but He might be the center of all that we do and of all who we are. And Father, we pray if there's one here that does not know You as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation, the day that they call upon You, that they can know that they have Jesus in their heart, that they might also be able to share in the home that is in heaven. And we thank You, Father, for the great gift that You have given us. Thank You for Your goodness to us. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.